Welcome to the Unconventional Path, entrepreneurship and innovation stories and ideas. Hello, I'm Bala Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Today, we're excited to be joined by Stephen Halasnik. Stephen is managing partner of Financing Solutions, which provides financing to small businesses. He is also a serial entrepreneur, podcast host, and author of the book, Crash and Learn, Lessons in Business. Bela, yeah, interesting conversation. Let's give it a listen. Hello, listeners. Today, I have a great guest for the podcast, uh, a serial entrepreneur who's also written a book. And uh, I wonder if you could introduce yourselves to our guests, give us your full name, and what do you do? Sure. Well, my name is Stephen Halasnik, and um, I own a couple companies right now. Uh, the main one that I own is Financing Solutions, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about. Um, and, um, you know, and I own another company called Elite Funeral Funding, and I also own another company called Credential Agent. But the, the main businesses I'm in is basically Financing Solutions, which provides small businesses with lines of credit. Oh, wow. So small businesses always struggle with getting lines of credit. Uh, they often are new and they don't have a history. And um, so how do you how does that work uh, as, as, as in your business? So, uh, well, we'll, let's, we'll, we'll talk about what, what it does and then, well, so any business that's over $400,000 in revenue or any nonprofit that's over $200,000 in revenue um, uh, can apply to us on a two-minute application, get an instant answer, um, and, uh, you know, basically what we're looking for is two things. We're looking, well, three things, cash flow. Good cash flow, over four hundred thousand dollars for business. Um, usually, our sweet spot is four hundred thousand to five million in sales. Um, we provide a line of credit up to a hundred thousand dollars. The line of credit uh, costs nothing to get in place, and um, and it costs nothing if it's not being used. And it's set up for a year, so you can have act you access it through our web portal. And I'll give you a, you know, a quick thing. I mean, I, I've had a number of businesses and I've had a, worked with a number of banks. And most people who haven't worked with banks yet for their businesses do not know that you need 100% collateral and a personal guarantee to work with a bank. And um, we don't require either one of those things. So we're looking at the business and we're saying, yeah, this person's going to, you know, this company is going to be good for it. And we're making the decision based on your current financials. And it's a two minute application. It's easy. You know, listen, we'll talk more about it later. But um, if you're not, if you don't have a line of credit in place, especially in today's upcoming recession, you really should have something there for yourself as a backup plan. And that's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've had some previous guests on the show that have talked about uh, having a backstop for when things go bad and because uh, they're going to go bad in your business yeah. at some point in time. And they could go good. So, you know, <laughs> that's you right. Use a lot of credit for good reasons. Well, too. that's exactly right. So when you're growing, you often your your cash needs exceeds your cash flow. So yes. whether you have growth or whether you 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 are going in the other direction, either way, you're going to need some extra cash. So in addition to sort of not having to have the personal guarantee and 100% collateral, in what other ways are you different than a bank? Well, that's huge right there. I mean, small businesses are just not going to get approved. That's number one. Number two is 
Um, maybe some of you have heard the term cash advances or um, certainly we're certainly not a payday loan company. So that's completely different. But cash advances are where you go to a company and there's a lot of them out there. And you go over there and you say, I need $10,000. And they say, okay, here's $10,000, but you have to pay us back. Typically, it's about $15,000 uh, over a four-month period of time. Um, and they have a daily payment. Our line of credit is, you know, you get it. You, if you need it, you use it, and you can pay it back anytime you want. And you're, when you pay it back, you're only paying back the principal, just like a regular bank line of credit. So the difference is, is we're much, much, much more inexpensive, much more flexible. M Honestly, a lot of clients that we work with use the money because there was a delay in payment and they have to make payroll. And it's really the huge majority of our clients. You know, you, you can't miss payroll. Not only does it really upset your employees, it ruins your reputation with your employees. And third, it's illegal. If you actually, if you miss payroll, the state uh, and the federal government can come in, or the state can come in and really fine you, cause you a lot of problems, and you know, really cause some issues. And when you have disgruntled employees, you never know when they're going to tell the state. Yeah. So yeah, that's so that sounds like a great service you provide for for small companies. So let me ask the the question: What's the catch? Is there a catch here? Well, it. Um, I think the catch is uh, if you keep it out for a very, very long period of time, we're talking like six months, then it's very expensive. Um, but the way it's intended to be used is for like a couple weeks and there is no catch, you know, I, you know, it's, and I, I really am shocked if I ever, you know, it's pretty rare when I have a, uh, someone who applies and says, well, I, yeah, I, I don't need it right now. I'm like, uh, you know, why wouldn't you get it? It costs nothing. Right. It's, it's, it's a backup plan. It makes, it's easy to get in place. I mean, once you fill out the offer letter, we'll give, I'm sorry, once you fill out the application, which is two minutes, uh, we'll give you an offer letter and then you send in a few documentations, bank statements, tax returns, driver's license, voided check. It's easy. And then you have it there. And then especially in today, because Lending my competitors right now are not uh, are not providing any lines of credit, and I don't mean just banks. I mean online lenders. They they are all in a holding pattern, and um, it's because they lost their funding to provide it. Uh, my competitors are funded by banks. Um, I'm funded by a private money. So uh, if someone's going to offer you a line of credit, get it in place. So, yeah, that's yeah. It. the catch is don't listen. And I would tell everybody and we probably wouldn't approve you. You don't get a line of credit if your business is not profitable. You get the line of credit because um, and you use your line of credit because there's a there's an um, there's a short term situation that you need to address. Right. right. There's a mismatch between your cash flow and yeah. your cash needs. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's very good. So how did you uh, how did you get into this business? Well, so it was a good story. Um, so up in, up into that point, I had had um, uh, four businesses, and um, the the last company I had, I had the fourth one got uh, and 
got really caught up. It was a good company. It was an Inc. 500 fastest growing company in the United States. It was a $7 million company. We were on our way to go to $11 million the next year. And then the 2008 recession hit. And um, I, and I've been through three recessions now with different companies and all different scenarios. And what happened with that company, it's called Healthcare Seeker. It placed registered nurses on long-term temporary assignments throughout the United States. I got into it because I thought it was recession-proof. And I get in there, and we're really doing great. And I, I built a fantastic team. You know, we're up around seven million. We're at seven million, and um, and then the 2008 recession hit, and it devastated my industry. The industry went from a 13 billion dollar industry to a seven billion dollar industry, and so I tried to stick it out, and I I stuck it out for four and a half years. Um, you know, and at I'm still making money. It was very small. I had laid off a lot of people. And you know we had gotten down to like five hundred thousand dollars in revenue, and then I just couldn't take it anymore. So I closed up shop, and I started looking to do angel funding deals. And like, and that's what a lot of entrepreneurs do. And you know, angel funding, of course, is when you invest money in all these other companies, and you know, and you think you're smarter than everybody else that's out there. And you know, um, while I was doing that, my uh, my good friend of 20 years, who was also a really good entrepreneur, he built his company and sold it. Um, he sold it for like 11 million dollars, and uh, we had two partners. and And so we started looking together for businesses. Over the next two years, we didn't find anything. But what happened was, I had a mentor who was my mentor for 20 years, and he was in the same business business I'm in right now, providing lines of credit. His was a little bit different, but he kept introducing the idea to me, and I was like, "No, I don't, I don't really understand financing. I'm not good. I'm not really good at it." And I brought my business partner and to a luncheon meeting that I had with my mentor, and my business partner is super smart, and he instantly got the the value of the business, and he, you know, he really he understands finance really well. And you know, when we left that meeting, he was like, Stephen, he goes, this is a good business for us because we've – for 20 years, we've been building companies. We really understand businesses. You know, It's not like a bank that's looking at all these other stuff. You know, you're, you're kind of looking at a business and, and, and in some regards making a gut decision. And, and so uh, this was you know, uh, uh, seven years ago. When seven financial solutions been going on for seven years. We're about twenty-five million dollars in sales right now, and it's a good business. It 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 was a good decision, and um, so that's how I got involved in it. My mentor introduced it to me, and my my business partner recognized the value of it, and uh, that's how it, how it happened. Yeah, wow, it's a great story. So in your business and financing solutions, Stephen, how do you manage your risk? Yeah. So we're looking at we're looking at things that are going to certainly knock some people out too. You know, there's certain industries that we won't work in. Like we don't work in trucking. You know, trucking, the that, that industry has a history of kind of not paying their bills. Really, I'm not, I don't. I don't mean to be uh, uh, to put anybody down who's in that industry. These we're very hardworking people, but for some reason, it's just like an industry. There's certain industries that doesn't that we don't like, 
you know sure. there's other sure. there's other yeah and there's other industries that don't like really require a line of credit so you know like it doesn't like a like we kind of feel like a pizzeria doesn't require a line of credit because they don't have as many they don't really have short term issues so i mean that's that's an, you know a very narrow thing but there's certainly like we don't like working with uh, lawyers because they're litigious <laughs> okay um so we're we're looking at the the cash flow of the business. We're looking at your credit score. You need to have at least a 650 or greater credit score. Uh, we're going to look at that and see if you're paying your bills. We're going to look at your cash flow. We're going to you know understand your business. You know um, we're going to look at um, your accounts receivable, your accounts payable. We're going to look at any loans you have outstanding. You know if you have too much debt and that's an issue. You know. But basically, we're I, in essence, we're all like a partner because we're like saying, yeah, okay, we think this company is going to be okay, and you know, we're going to get paid back. Right, right. So, you know, we're looking at a, a couple of things. We're just like, you know, looking for any any potential issues, and um, and you know, that's what we're kind of, you know, making a uh, making a guess on. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, if I apply for this line of credit, you said it's good for a year. Is that, it's good for a year. It doesn't have to be used. Yeah, yeah. And uh, can I renew it? So is it yes. like basically a once a year renewable thing? You're going to check my figures and and uh, balance yep. sheet again and P and L and yep. stuff, and then you can extend it or not. Yep. Oh, very nice, very nice. So uh, you also wrote a book, Stephen. I think right. Yes. Yeah. So tell us well, about. I, that. I wrote a chapter in a book that's a best-selling book on Amazon. Ah, okay. So that's uh -huh. good. Yeah, so uh, the book is called Crash and Learn, and um, when I was asked to write a chapter in it, um, you know, I, I kind of – my story is, is, a, is a good story in that, you know, I've been able to build a variety of different companies, and they've all been successful. And I, the, defi the definition for me of successful is um, they've all made money. Um, they and they've allowed me to have a, the quality of life that I want, the house that I want, and to be able to do the things I do. I haven't made it big time, you know. I've never, I, I you know, I haven't sold a company kind of yet, right? I mean, I did sell two companies, but it was for a small amount of money. Um, but um, Crash and Learn is about my experience of the ups and downs of of building a business and you know i had a good friend who said you know the top line of your business is like a squirrel it's gonna go all over the place it's gonna go up it's gonna go down it's gonna go sideways it's just it's gonna go all over the place and that's really been the experience with a lot of the businesses i've been involved with and the businesses that i've built have been between 5 million and 25 million so financing solutions right now is 25 million. I have another company right now, Elite Funeral Funding, which is also 25 million. In fact, that's going to make an Inc. 500 fastest growing company in the United States. I I actually have two people running that business, and my partner and I provide. Um, uh, we're we are the investors, and we also are the advisors for the business as well. Um, and that business is doing very well as well. So um, the book Crash and Learn is the 20 years of experience. It's I, I'm going to be honest with you. It's a really, really, really good read. It, you know, my my chapter in that book is an excellent read. Yeah. Um, so what are the what are the one or two big lessons out of your chapter takeaways? 
Um, plan, you know, it's funny. I wrote the book before the recession, and the number one thing I said is plan. So planning is is one of the most important things you need to do. Planning for a recession, planning for an expansion. Um, you know, and I don't think entrepreneurs take enough time. You know, I do this a lot. I'll go to a, well, at least I used to go to a coffee shop and sit down and really kind of think through what I was going to do, what I'm going to do, how, what, how I'm doing against what I plan to do, and KPIs, key performance indicators. So that's number one. Planning was number one. Number two is something that has stuck with me forever and it's something that my mentor taught me. He said that if you stay in business long enough, and I'm going to caveat by that after I kind of say this, you will figure it out. If you stay in business long enough, you will figure it out. But that does not mean stay in business, go into tons of debt so you can figure it out. Okay. It, you know, so like I, I have a lot of friends who have uh, businesses, tons of them. I have one guy in particular who just keeps going into debt and debt. He just keeps going into debt. It's been 20 years. He's never figured it out. And it's a different story. But, um, you know, so the number one thing is give yourself a runway. You know, don't spend a lot of money until you know how am I going to acquire clients? How much does it cost me to acquire clients? What are my fixed costs? What are my variable costs? Do I have a market here? You know, am I making sales? Uh, you know, have this long runway because what I find is every single time I start a new business, it does get shorter. In fact, much shorter. It takes you three years to figure out your business. And it takes you 10 years to be a professional entrepreneur. And there was a great book by Malcolm Gladwell called Tipping Point. Great book. Yep. He's my favorite. He's my, he's my favorite author. And he's, got, he's got a wonderful podcast too. Yeah. I wish he would do more episodes. Yeah. <laughs> because I, we're all, we, my wife and I listen to him all the time yeah. on long trips. And, and he doesn't have, a, he, he, you know, and, you know, the, in the book Tipping Point, he talks, he gives the example of the Beatles and how the Beatles were basically, you know, playing in, in um, these bars um, six to seven days a week and constantly practicing during the day. And they basically said at 10,000 hours, um, you become a professional at what you're doing. Now, um, for them, it was accelerated because they put more than 10,000, like I say, 10 years. But, um, but you know, now when I start businesses, the, the last one I started was three years ago, which uh, four years ago was Elite. We had it up and running and making a million dollars in three months after – well, that's six months. We had it up and running because we knew, OK, we need accounting software. OK, we need CRM software. OK, you know, we, we, what are we going to do about these processes? How are we going to store all the documents? You know, we were able to build that company within six months where it normally would have taken me three years. Um, just from the infrastructure standpoint, because we knew exactly what to do. So it gets easier. Uh, it, uh, well, it gets easy, yeah, easier, not easy. So, um, you know, you, the, the biggest problem in small businesses has to do with recessions. They are 
they just wreck your business. And the reason for that is you don't have scale often. You know, I have a friend who had a – I remember I mentioned Healthcare Seeker. And Healthcare Seeker, again, placed travel nurses throughout the United States. He, uh, I, I often become friendly with my competitors and we talk, which is like a lot of people think that's crazy. But when you're a small business, who they don't care, right? And so uh, I became very good friends with a company uh, 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 called PPR out of Florida and a guy by the name of Dwight. And his travel nurse business was $40 million. Now, my competitors were like billion – well, they were like – yeah, almost billion dollar companies. Dwight was forty million. I was at seven million, and he was able to survive the recession um, because he went from forty million down to twenty million. I went from seven million, you know, down to three million, down to five hundred thousand. I didn't have as much room. Right, right. There's an economy of scale, right? Yeah. There's a there is a tipping point in a different way for each there company, is. right? At, at yeah. some point, it's just, it's not sustainable. No. You have to have certain size. No. Yeah. So anyway, the, uh, your question was relating to the two biggest lessons. Um, one was, um, you know, there's lots of ups and downs, not only just in your business, but certainly in your, your personal life too. And, um, and, in, and the second thing is, um, Try the longer you can stay in it, the more you can figure out where your little niche is, which is what small business is about, right? A niche, and you know, so there's a, it's no one really knows. <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of people are, don't know what the word small business means because that means something different to everybody. You know, if you own a five hundred million dollar company, you think a small business is twenty, thirty, fifty million dollars. That's a small business. If you own, um, you know, a ten million dollar business, you think you know, five hundred thousand, a million dollar business is right. small. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a relative scale. So you started a lot of businesses. You're clearly a serial entrepreneur. So let's dive a little bit into your background and and where, where'd you grow up? I grew up in a town called Watchong, New Jersey. Um, and Watchong, New Jersey. Um, I'm we moved from Linden, New Jersey, when I was three years old. I have two older sisters, and my parents. Um, my dad was a World War II veteran. He was in the Navy, and he had been in every uh, war. He had been in every sea four times, uh, going back and forth between the Panama Canal on a 300-foot um, uh, boat, which is like a safety boat that, that would help aircraft carriers when they got uh, destroyed. The reason I mention that is my parents were very humble and very modest and very uh, frugal. And um, we moved from a town like Linden, which was a um, this extremely blue-collar town, to Wachong, which is a very much professional town. And my parents wanted to give me a better life, give our kids a better life, a better education. Well, while I was there, I was always been very, very highly motivated. Um, I was an exceptional athlete. And by the time of 17, I decided that I wanted to own my own company. At the time, the hot thing was Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and these these guys who kind of built their own company. And there was a prestige about owning your own business. And I I liked two things. I liked the prestige and the notoriety. I wanted to prove people I was something special. And the third thing was I wanted to control my future. 
So at the age of 17, I decided I'm going to go work for a big company, learn, make all my mistakes on their time, and then start my own company. And that's exactly what I did. So I went on after graduating from Rutgers University. Um, I went on to work for Xerox Corporation. I was one of their top sales reps in the country. And I worked for there for um, almost eight years. I loved my job. I was really good at it. They treated me very well. It was great. I loved it. But I knew after eight years that management at a corporation wasn't going to be my skill set. And during that time, I met my mentor. And I started – I continued to prepare myself to own my own business. And I was going to get married. I was 29. My wife knew my, my dreams. A recession hit in the United States, and so I wasn't getting a promotion for the first time. I would gotten promoted five times in eight years. And so I started seeing that. I said, So my wife knew it, and my wife said, you know what? If you're going to do it, go do it now. She knew I had been preparing for it. I had been taking class. I read lots of books. And um, she was an accountant, so she made pretty good money. And um, and so the problem was I spent all this time learning how to run a business, and I, ne- I, I, I didn't come up with an idea about what I would do. And so my mentor said, pick something you know. And so at Xerox, I, I was involved in this you know, new technology called digital printing. And so I started a digital printing business where – with this new technology that allowed you to print on-demand brochures and customize. It was, was hot back then. Well, it was noon back then. And so I started a company called DigiPrint. And what I did was I worked for Xerox for half of the day without them knowing it, and I started my DigiPrint business for another half, the rest of the half of the day. I was working you know, 70 hours a week, and I did that for two and a half years. Well, I worked – I did that for a year and then I quit Xerox because I was making about $70,000 a year with the new business and I, I was kind of going crazy working all sure, those hours. Sure, yeah. So then um, I, I work with DigiPrint and the equipment that I that was required for the business cost a million dollars and I never ever let money stop me from going with an idea. And so what I started doing was I started using other people's equipment and I would just outsource the work to them. So I would get the business. I'd bring it to them. They'd do the printing of it. And I kind of – allowed me to see what was going on in the market, which is very common with me. I don't spend I don't spend a ton of money. I get in there with as little money as I can, kind of let the cash flow build on its own. They learn a lot. And, um, and I learned with DigiPrint that one, there wasn't – enough money in the business to just do digital printing um it was the margins were huge but the 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 size of the orders were super small and um and then the second thing i learned was i didn't want to be in the printing business it was just wasn't my thing there there are not a lot of the people who are in the printing business they um they you know at the time they could do things extremely cheaply and a lot of times they did it at cost or below cost without knowing it. So I, I didn't want to go into that business. And that's what happened with my first company. I, I sold it for a very small amount of money and then I moved on to something else. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the, there's, there's one topic I wanted to explore a little bit. Uh, what, what you said was you, you knew you wanted to, to start a business. 
but you also wanted to gain some experience by working in a larger company, right? Make your mistakes, do your learning on, yep. on their meal ticket, so to speak. And one of the debates that, uh, not debates, but conversations that we commonly have is, uh, you know, a young person will come up to me who's getting ready to graduate. I was a professor for a while. And, and you know, they asked the question, well, should I go start my business today or should I go work for a larger company for a while, gain some experience, and then start my business? Uh, and I don't think there's a right or wrong answer there, but I, I did want to just explore that a little bit with you and sort of get your thoughts on it. Do you, do you still find that that's the viable way to go? Yeah, I, agree, I would agree with your comment, and that is there's not a right or wrong answer. There's just, just an answer that's best for you. Um, my This is what happened was when I turned 29, my mentor, things have changed a lot about entrepreneurship since I was sure. 29. I'm 55 now. So, um, and we could talk about that, but, but my mentor would show statistically to me that the chances of you starting a business before you get married is so much higher that is, if you wait till after you get married, and the reason being is once you get married, you start having kids, and you have a mortgage, right. it starts to become harder and harder. Now, I think some of that has changed because there are so many tools now. There, there's so many businesses that can start on the side, almost like what I did with Xerox, and then you can go full-time into a cash flow. My advice to the person would be this. Get a, get a full-time job and work on your company on the side. Because, you know, there's a lot of pressure from cash flow um, when you have to, you know, pay your rent for your house, regardless if you're married or not. You have to pay for your food. You have to be able to pay for things. You know, and now, listen, things have changed so much now. Most kids now think that they should start a business through through angel funding or, you know, right. they think, you know, they don't, they wouldn't even comprehend asking uh, their parent, well, now, or to ask their family or friends, you know, everything is about going public or raising this big amount of money. And, you know, there's, there's a lost art to building a small business. Well, there's a lost art, I mean, a lost art, but it's very challenging to grow it organically, right? To yes. grow it from your own cash flow. Yes. And, and, and one of the things that, you know, I was in the venture capital business for a while, I've been a, a professor for a while. And, and people always ask me, what's the best way to raise money? You know, should it be from friends and family? Should it be from angels? Should it be from venture capitalists or other forms of private equity? And my response has always been the same. The best way to raise money is to sell your product or service. Well, I agree with you. And yeah. Right. I mean, that's the best way. It's the- Well, I agree. And you know what? And this is the thing is, uh, I think another part of the answer would be is what type of, what type of business are you doing? Right. Because right. listen, right? There are some businesses that are just never going to be any interest to an angel funding uh, funder, are never going to be that big. That's right. Because of what you're listen, if you're going to start a, uh, you know, a pizzeria, right? An angel funder is not going to want to be involved in something like that. So it really depends on the type of business you pick and where you're going to go with it. That's right. That's right. And I always think about raising outside capital as a mechanism for hitting the accelerator once you have what I call the recipe sort of figured out, right? You you know your product, you know your service, you have that well-defined, you know there's a demand for it, you know your customers, and you need the capital to grow the business. 
you don't need the you're looking for capital when you're still trying to figure stuff out but that's a that's a high risk uh high risk thing yeah and let me tell you what happened like with my second company with um fi- uh expert seeker um now with expert seeker i start i don't, at the t- at the time of uh of my first business i had $40,000 in cash okay and then I had equity in a condo that I owned. Um, so when I started my second company, what I thought what would happen would would be this. I, I thought if I get the cash flow going, and what I mean by that is if you get the sales and you have the revenue going, you will find financing. And the financing you find that way is something called factoring. And in essence, a little bit of what I do is factoring, but but um, factoring is when someone is willing to purchase your future re- your receivables ahead of time. So you know they'll you, they'll I, that's that's a little bit of how to explain it. But so what I learned is if you get the cash flow going, if you have the revenue there, people will finance you. And so I, I learned that I use a factor. I got off my factors pretty quickly yeah. because they're, they're expensive, but um, it still worked out great for me, you know. Right. So what, and, what, what you're talking about, there's a timing issue, right? There's, there's, a, there's a, a, a lag. Uh, you have to spend capital before you get the revenue in, but you yes. know the revenue's coming, right? Yes. So that's a timing issue, right? And you can factor those things. Yeah. Uh, but, and, and, and that's a, that's actually a wonderful problem to have in a business <laughs> compared yeah, to then, some of the other challenges. And, and what happened was after, you know, two years, my cash flow supported itself and I didn't need, I didn't need the factor anymore. So, um, because and that's the way it should work, you know, um, you know, so, you know, you keep in mind, like, you know, the businesses that you get involved in are often a reflection of your personality and what you're good at, you know, I'm very good at. I am a uh, go-getter. I am a. I am the. I'm a very good marketing person and a very good salesperson. Um, my skill set is growing businesses really, really fast and on the top line. So you know, it's it works well for the type of businesses I've picked. Um, so, uh, you know, coming back, so, you know what, I think it's good for your listeners to know the variety of different, so when you, sometimes when you start a business, you could start it using your own capital, which is fine. Then, then the next phase sometimes is, is using family and friends, right? And then, and certainly one of the ways is using your existing cash flow, which is what, you know, we, what you talked about. Uh, I mean, what that means is you don't spend the money until you make it. Right. The the next phase of 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 uh, of it, it, it could be uh, factoring financing. It could be a bank loan if you have collateral, but most people don't. Or if you have a co-signer, that's another phase. And that could go on at any time The depending on your business, the next phase is either an angel and fu- an investor or an angel funder who is a individual who says, I will give you, well, we all watch Shark Tank, right? So we all know those are angel funders, okay? They say, I'll give you $100,000, $500,000 for 25% of your business, okay? But keep in mind this, the only way 
and no, most people don't know this, the only way an angel funder makes their money is if you sell your business or if you go – if a venture capitalist comes in and buys the angel funder out or if you go public, which is really a, the same thing because a VC is going to need to be there. So in order for you to get angel funding money or a VC, you have to have a idea with scale. That means it's going to grow big. And if you know, so if you have a small business that doesn't have that, like for example, financing solutions is never going to get a venture capitalist involved. It can never grow to a five hundred million dollar company or go public. So, um, so those are the you know the phases, and then the last one, of course, is the public market, which is the Nasdaq, the New York Stock Exchange, the Amex, the public. That's really big time, and you know, um, so those are the phases that you kind of get involved with in your businesses. And, uh, you know, having a small business, I think does two things for you, three things for you. One, it, it, um, allows you to control your own destiny. Number two is it gives you the quality of life that you want because you don't, you know, it's a little bit different than working for a corporation. And I would say it probably gives you more control over your future. And the third thing is it gives you the potential to make, you can really make the money that can you can have a pretty good quality of life, right? And now, what's interesting about this is I, I think about this often. I think if I had stayed at Xerox, or if I had done the regular career path after that with other companies, I think financially my net worth would be similar to what it is right now. I really do, um, because I probably would have made it up to a variety of different levels with stock options and all this other stuff, and. Um, but I could I could never imagine myself being 30 years in business and not having started my own business. I, I it just would have been it wouldn't have been a life I would have wanted to live. I'm I'm very proud and excited about the journey that I've been on. Yeah. Um. I mean, it has cost a lot of gray hairs and wrinkles around my eyes. Um, and more so maybe than working for a corporation, but. Working for the corporation, I think the politics would have eaten me alive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's pressures in both. They're just different. Just different. Yeah. Right? Depends on your personality. Like I have a 20-year-old son who's got incredible emotional intelligence, and I think he's going to kick butt in, in corporate America because he knows when to keep his mouth shut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, it sounds like in some of your businesses uh, you had a partner, and in other businesses maybe you were solo. So I was always solo until uh, Financing Solutions. Oh, okay. So, so the businesses I had was Digiprint, ExpertSeeker.com, which, which reached um, um, $6 million in sales, Healthcare Seeker, which reached $7 million. Then I still have a company called Credential Agent, which is software as a service for uh, storing employee credentials. Very small company, but I, it's really a nice company. Um, and then I also bought a corporate I, uh, a, a beautiful 10,000 square foot uh, building that I use that I uh, rent rent out to businesses. Um, so that's its own company. And then I have financing solutions and elite. Now, finding I was always scared to have a business partner um, because I've heard such horror stories about it. But um, 
I can't imagine now being in a business without my financial my 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 partner. So financing solutions has and Elite both has the same business partner. He is unbelievable, and I am so lucky to have found him, and we get along great. Um, we've been to bar- partners together for uh, eight years, and we've known each other for twenty. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So, so that's an interesting question. Cause I often get that, you know, should I get a partner? Should I, should I do this solo or should I do it with someone else? Or should there be three of us? So you said you've known this person for three years. So what, no, or excuse 20 me, 20 years. years, I'm sorry, you're right. 20 years. What are the characteristics that make for a good partner? You know, I would only say the, the characteristics that, well, okay. So let's do an absolute. Right. The the absolutes that you have to have, they have to be totally honest. They can to you. They cannot lie ever. I, if I ever lie to my business partner, it's over, you know, not nor would I ever do it. But if he, integrity of honesty to partners, number one, if, if, if you can't trust your partner, forget it. OK. So other absolutes, um, I don't know, what do you think? What do you think another abs- absolute would be to have a partner? Well, I, I think I, I, I have had a few occasions. I've started a couple companies, and, and some of them I've had partners. And the one that worked really, really well, we actually took it to business public, right? So it turned out to be a, a wow. pretty good cool. thing, is we thought very differently but we almost always ended up in the same place, yep. right? So our path to get there was very different, and we were very different personalities and people, but we sort of almost always ended up in the same place. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, now I could talk more specifically about my partner and, and how we're, how, what an advantage we have on each other, and that is um, he – I am the go-getter. I'm the guy outside who makes things happen. He's the guy inside who figures it out how it's going to happen. Yeah, it's interesting you brought that up because our, my partnership was the same way. Uh-huh. He he was the external face of the business. Yeah. And I was I was the person in the engine room who kept the ship running, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, did the operation stuff, etc. Right. So knew knew how to operate the business. And he knew he was like the business development, you know, sales guy stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's just and and the other thing with him that I, I he doesn't think it's a big deal, but I do. He's incredibly patient with me. And that is, you know, I mean, I could be a little uh, naive or not naive. That's not the right word. A, a little dense sometimes about, you know, like understanding um, contracts or financing uh, uh, rates and figuring it out. You know, I it takes me a while sometimes to understand complicated issues. He's incredibly patient and he explains things to me very simply so that I can kind of understand it. Um, you know, he um you know, he, he's everything I'm not and I think I'm everything that he's not. You know, do I I think he's more valuable than me, but he would say I'm more valuable than him. You know, I just got really lucky, and um, and not only that, he is a ton of fun to work with. You know, like it's so funny when 
uh, a lot of uh, my friends – We I, so I belong to the same entrepreneur group for 20 years now. It's called the Entrepreneur Organization. I would highly recommend if you don't know about it to join it. And I've been you, – you're put together with a group of other entrepreneurs. I have – these are nine guys that are in our group that have been together for almost 20 years now. And, um, and it's funny when they, he's, that's how I met him was through the group. And, um, he, when we, him and I get together and the other guys are there, we, Keith and I can almost finish, we, we finish each other's sentences. And it's like a, it's like being in a room with, uh, it's just ideas are flowing like crazy because we are just both thinking through things and talking and it's just it's a lot of fun yeah. it's a lot of yeah. fun yeah excellent excellent so Stephen, we've been chatting for almost 45 minutes here uh so i want to wrap this up is there uh anything i should have asked you that i haven't or anything else you want to share with our listeners You know, yeah, there's, I mean, there's tons of things, but I don't think that, you know, I, you know, I, there's lots of things that go on. No, I, you know, I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, if you're thinking of, if you're thinking of starting your own business, just do it. Yeah. If you, if you're, if you're already in the business, um, keep learning, you know, uh, um, entrepreneurs are autodidactic, which means, um, means they're self-taught and and that's uh, that's a common theme you you know i i was at a I, I graduated from um an executive mba program which which is not an executive mba it's a it's a three-year program that inc magazine sponsored that they pick 60 the fastest growing companies in the united states and you go through a three-year program which is a one-week program at M- mit and there was a, a speaker who came in who said um if you give when he goes to uh, present to an organ a a um, a corporation, the managers at the corporation will do exactly what he's teaching. He'll do that same presentation to a bunch of entrepreneurs, and the entrepreneurs will take his presentation and change it all around so it works for them. And I think that's very common with entrepreneurship. They they kind of take a little bit from everywhere and they kind of put it together and make it their own. And, you know, you should be continuously learning. Um, the other thing I would say is like we haven't talked about my personal life, but I believe strongly in having a balanced lifestyle. Work is always going to be a huge part of everybody who has a business's life, but you should have a balance between – your health, which is exercising, your family, your friends, your work, and giving back and continuous learning. And because your business will just take over your life and you'll look back and say, what was this all for? And this wasn't something new that happened when I was 55. I've always felt that, you know, exercising, I love to do it. I love being with my family, being with my friends. There's got to be a balance in your lifestyle, and this is the key. I've been able to do this for almost 30 years because I have energy left because I didn't put it all in the first 10 years of my businesses. So yeah, yeah. Well, that's great, great concluding advice and comments, Stephen. That was very good. 
Sure. Uh, you've been a fabulous guest. I really appreciate you being on the podcast. And uh, I sure do hope our paths uh, can cross again in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Bela, great example of a really important niche business. Maybe let's talk for a minute about why Lines of Credit, the business that um, uh, that Financing Solution provides, that Stephen offers, why are these lines of credit so important for entrepreneurs? Well, look, let me give you an example of, of one of the businesses I ran. I ran a small sporting goods manufacturing business for a number of years. And uh, we were small, uh, less than $10 million a year in annual revenues. We did not have a line of credit. Uh, I came in to run that business, and it was a little rocky before I got there, so we had no line of credit. Well, we got a really big order from a customer, a well-known customer. Uh, I mean, a really big order. It it would double our sales for that year. And uh, their terms were they would pay us 60 days after they received the goods. And so we had to order a bunch of raw material, and then it took us uh, four or five weeks to process that raw material before we shipped. Uh, So it was going to be a good, uh, you know, four months after we after we start working on the product before we got paid. And when we ordered our raw material, also being a small business, our suppliers wanted 50 percent down and 50 percent when they shipped again because we didn't have the greatest track record in paying our bills on time so we had this really severe cash flow problem i had we had to write about a hundred thousand dollars worth of checks for raw materials and we wouldn't get paid for the products we produce from those raw materials for over four months after that point in time so we had this severe cash flow problem so Businesses in small business, it's really important um, that you have either a line of credit or you have this ability to draw upon some cash because often you have these short-term cash flow crises. Now, it's good news we got this big order, right? The bad news was, man, we had a real problem with, with cash in order to fulfill that order. So his business really does fulfill uh, an interesting niche. Yeah, agreed, Bela. And it's something that I've always advised startups is, hey, if you can arrange for a line of credit, it's a good thing to have it. And it shouldn't cost you anything, right? If you're if you're doing it the right way, um, your bank should offer you a line of credit. Now, you'll often have to sign a personal guarantee on this, um, which is a little scary. Maybe we could talk about that in a few minutes. But having this line of credit is great. I mean, you know, um, Stephen talked about making payroll, and that's obviously really important. But yeah, any kind of business where you have a supply chain, and especially if you do business with big, the bigger the company Typically, the longer they're going to take to pay you, and it's going to be the, written into the terms, and it you know, could be four months, 120 days, no problem, and you got to pay your suppliers sooner. I mean, Apple's got it great, right? And, uh, you know, it, Apple, when you buy an Apple product, everybody buys it, it pays for it immediately, right? Use your credit card um, and you buy it. So they make the cash really, literally the minute that they sell the product. And they have so much market power that they can really push when they pay suppliers for the various things that they, you know, they don't really make anything on their own. They have all this stuff made. They can push the suppliers out so that they hold on to everybody's cash for four months. It's a lot of money. They can make a lot of interest with it or invest it um, and do that. So it's a it's a it's a positive cash to cash cycle, we call it. Um, whereas if you're a small business, you usually are dealing with bigger companies and it's the working in the opposite direction. So yeah, line of credit, 
critical piece uh, in any kind of manufacturing business. And yeah, with the, on the services side too, when you got to make payroll and you have an unforeseen expense, it's nice to have that cash pad. So you're not, it's, you, it's, it's a way to sleep a little better at night and they can be expensive. You have to really be careful of the terms. Um, we, I think you and I have both had several of these and, um, it's, uh, it can be a challenge, but it's a lot better than the alternative, right? Of, uh, not making any, and you don't want to borrow money and sit on it. You know, it's, that's why the line of credit is a, is a better, it's just in case it's a contingency thing. You shouldn't rely on it as a long-term source of financing. Yeah. I mean, look at these organizations like Kickstarter address this very fact. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're, they're basically paying you in advance for a product. Right. That's a great business model. If you, yep. can, if you can build that into your business model where your customer pays before you have to build or develop or ship your product. Now, I'll tell you one thing. Back in my venture days, as uh, soon as we made an investment into a company, we would push them to get a line of credit with a bank. Um, and to get that line of credit, because we knew there was going to be some cash flow challenges in the future. And what we would push them to do is use that line of credit. So... Even if you didn't need it, right? Draw it down and pay it back. Quickly, right. And quickly, right. So it doesn't cost you a lot. So draw it down and then at the end of the month, pay it back. So yeah, it's going to cost you a little bit of money. But what you're doing is your company is building up a credit history. Just like it's important for you to have a credit score as an individual, it impacts the interest rates you can get. It impacts car financing you can get. It impacts all sorts of things. Companies have the same type of credit history that they build up, particularly with the bank that they're doing. So by drawing that down and paying it back and drawing it down and paying it back, the loan officer or the person you're working with, the account executive at your bank, is gaining confidence and history in their file so that when you do go to them for a loan or you do want to increase your credit line because you you have, uh, you know, you need it. Uh, that person's going to have information in the file and have history that they can then take to their boss to say, hey, look, we think we should up this company's credit line because look at they have this history of paying things back. So it's really important to do that. And, and you know, Stephen here does that in a business where banks are not playing, right? So again, the challenge for small businesses, um, banks typically don't want to lend you money because you're a big risk to them. And even if you sign over your house or you do a personal guarantee, that's still a big risk for the bank. You know, right? They don't want to take your house away, right? Even though you may have to put that down as collateral, that's not good PR for a bank when they repossess your house because your business went out of, out of, out of business, couldn't pay its bills. However, you know, I can understand the hesitancy uh, of doing that. There's an emotional piece to that. And I think what the bank is trying to do is to really understand how committed you are to this business and how committed you are to making this business a success so they're going to get their money paid back. Uh, And by having to give a personal guarantee, that gives them an indication that you're pretty darn committed. Um, So these personal, these lines of credit for businesses, this ability to take care of these short-term cash flow challenges is really important. And what Stephen did is he saw, as a good entrepreneur, he saw an opportunity and he elbowed his way into the market. He figured out uh, uh, to differentiate himself, the terms are slightly different, right? He went after a, a market segment that was not being serviced by the existing providers and he's built himself, 
itself a successful business. And this is a good model for any entrepreneur, right? Look around, be observant, find the opportunity, figure out how a customer set's needs are not being met by others, and then you can meet those customers' needs and and figure out the model, the financial model and the business model that makes sense for you and your customers. Yep, customer-driven innovation, right? Great example. But yeah, and hey, thanks for the good kind of lesson on uh, lines of credit. I think it's worthwhile for people. I think a lot of our listeners probably know about these things, but uh, for others, it might be just a nice nudge to uh, do this. You, you, and I think Stephen mentioned this and, and you talked about it a little bit in the interview. You don't want to wait until there is a cash crunch to, to do this or you don't want to wait till there is a downturn. So right now, you know, we're we're recording this in June two, 2020 and uh, there's a little bit of a credit crunch going on because of COVID related. But, you know, the next opportunity, if you're an entrepreneur that's frozen out right now, it's probably good to get one because you don't know when that next rainy day is going to be. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, great. Bela, thanks. What do you think? Should we wrap it up? Yeah, let's wrap this one up. Mark. All right. So listeners, we hope you found the last hour interesting and thought provoking. And if you have questions about what we've discussed, as always, feel free to get in touch with us. Our email address is and remains bela.and.mike at gmail.com. Hey, and we'd love to have you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. It's free. Just hit that subscribe button in whatever podcasting app you're listening to us in. So until next week, signing off from upstate New York. Hey, Mike, have a great week. Thanks, Bela. You too. From over here in Münster, Germany, it's about time for me to fire up the barbecue and put a few sausages on and open up a nice cold German beer. Have a great week. <laughs>